Welcome to the Arsenal Vision post-match podcast. This is the Arsenal Vision post-match podcast, and this is me, Lean, from ArsenalVision.co.uk. In today's show, James, Elliot and Paul will be discussing the 5-2 victory away from home at the King Power Stadium. A wonderfully entertaining game it was as well. Our best performance of the season, at least offensively. Uh, it's great to see the team finally clicking into gear. In recent weeks, we've shown some good signs. Against Stoke, against Newcastle before we went down to 10 men. We played really well, created lots of chances, but couldn't score the goals. Finally come together now, at least it did on Saturday, and we scored five good goals. I was very impressed with Theo Walker as, as a striker. In my opinion, his best display in that position so far. Alexis Sanchez obviously stole the show on the day with his hat-trick. It's been a good weekend for us, isn't it, really? With the special one and his team failing to win at Newcastle. Ah. And Manchester City, after winning the title after five games, uh, they've lost back-to-back games. West Ham and now Tottenham. So, which means we have three points off the top of the league. Next up, Olympiacos at home on Tuesday, followed by Manchester United also at home. Home games, eh? So, that's the big one I'm looking forward to. It's a good chance to avenge what happened last season. Very frustrating game that was when we dominated them, created loads of chances and didn't couldn't take them and lost to two soft goals. But, yeah, anyway, hand over to the guys now and I'll be back after the Olympiacos game. Just as predicted, rotation in the Capital One Cup leads to perky victory at Leicester at the weekend. My name is Elliot Smith, and this is the Arsenal Vision Post-Match Podcast, and you can block me on Twitter at Yankee Gunner. James is here this time. Paul is here as well, so we've got the whole band, and it is going to be a plucky, happy, upbeat pod, goddammit. <sighs> had to get that out. Look, it's come to my attention that I may have been a little bit dour following the win midweek, when in fact I had a sleeping baby in the studio with me, so come on. Cut me a little slack. It was my nighttime voice. It was my soothing baby voice. And I was just, this is how babies are made and this is how babies are soothed. Um, But now we can get perky and plucky and talk about what was an outstanding 5-2 victory at Leicester. Hat trick for our Chilean spicy hot pepper of a man, Alexis Sanchez. First, let's introduce Paul and James, though. Do the... Do the particulars of the pod. Pod is uh, Paul's here. You can find him on Twitter at Pausing in My Pants. Hey, Paul. Woohoo! James is here. You can find him on Twitter at GoonerFanatic49. Welcome back, James. Hello, one and all. We'll be doing our best to find a way to get James fired from his job so he'll be more readily available for midweek, but we're glad to have him here. Let's dive in. Awesome match. Um, didn't get off to the best of starts because we fell behind, and by the way, it's our first. Uh, time coming from behind to win in the league since August of last season. So uh, it's been a long time in the making. But let's just get started with the performance of one Theo Walcott. This has really been the story of the season is the center forwards. And there's been a lot of debate about whether Theo can play center forward. I think, Paul, you are a Theo lover. I have certainly been in his camp. I think, James, you, while certainly liking Theo Walcott, maybe were a little skeptical of his ability to play center forward. So I'll start with you, James. What did you make of of his performance, not just for the goal, but his general center forward play, not just the runs we're used to seeing, but the whole the whole ball of wax? I thought it was a very impressive and very promising performance. Um, a lot of our talk had been actually the surprise of just how few games he's played in that central role, and um, he's actually seeming to take to it quite quickly, <clears throat> especially when you look at just the 
goals per game ratio um, in isolation. But outside of the, the goal and the danger and the space that he created, and admittedly this was exactly the type of game you thought would really um, work to Theo's strengths. I mean, Leicester continuously trying to attack with a lot of pace, leaving space um, of their own, allowing us um, to hit them uh, with pace. And there was a lot of you know frantic back and forth. And I think the tempo of the game um, really worked well for that combination between the Alexis and the and the Theo as, as the two out of the front three. Um, but the thing that surprised me the most, and in some ways impressed me the most, was the way we were able to utilize Theo's pace, running out wide. Um, attaching onto that um, that space that was left in by an attacking fullback, um, or even just getting in behind the, uh, the centre back through diagonal long drifted balls, was the utilisation of that as an out ball. Um, a lot of the strength I talked about of Olivier in the past has been just how great not only a pivot he provides, but um, that release of pressure, given his strength and his ability to bring the ball into play and retain possession in, in tough areas um, when we're struggling, but. Um, you know, we were able to utilize Theo in a different way in order to um, achieve a similar effect. So that was a very promising sign. Um, mm-hmm. And I thought his hold-up play was certainly far improved. Yeah, absolutely. That was a part of his game that I don't think people expected. Paul, um, do you think we're seeing the evolution of the player into more of a center forward as he gets chances now? I think people were skeptical of his ability to play the position, but he had never really had a, had a regular run at center forward. Um, aside from just the runs, James mentioned the hold-up play. Do, do you think you're seeing a more all-around, um, all-around polished performance as a center forward from Theo? And how much of it do you think, James referenced it, had to do with the space between the lines that, that Lester gave us today? This is definitely uh, the type of game that suits Theo. But to quote Arsene Wenger, so is the other type. Well, to paraphrase him, you know, when he said uh, those games where they're parking the bus uh, suit him because he can get those little, he'll always find a few runs in behind and because we'll always end up counterattacking a few times. I'm like doing my woohoos and rubbing my hands because that's basically both types of games we play. And I'm thinking, all right, this is really TOC season. Now I know why we spent 140K on his wages, bitches. Uh, you know, let's see what he can do. The other thing I'd say is not a, you know, you, you said correctly, he's never had a run at center forward. He's never actually played at center forward. I went back and counted it. I think this is his eighth start ever at center he, he forward. Got, he had a couple starts there when he was negotiating his contract before that January window, and that was it. Yeah. So now you, you can go back and find one here and there in this, this competition and that and the Aston Villa final, and, you know, he had. An abortive, well, you had the, 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 10, the 11 v 10 with Newcastle. You, you kind of had those games together. He, to my counting, he's had eight in total. So people saying, you know, you have these arguments where people say, well, he's 26, he's not going to improve much. Well, as a striker, he's like a striker who's, who's like 23. And probably in terms of minutes played, he's, he's pretty close to 23. There's absolutely no reason he can't get better and better by game. I think we're seeing that. I think we're seeing that, seeing that evolution. But I would also constant, you know, caution people, uh, and I think they already knows, know this. With Theo, he will be 50% you know, 
great, exciting attacking and 50% flubbing it or there'll be an offside or this or that. You know, that's, bu- that's part of the package. Now, a lot of it works, even the offsides, because, you know, those have an effect on the defenders. It pushes them back. It's kind of, he just needs to be lucky the once or twice. He doesn't need to get, you know, he, that goal he scored, I think he was offside. So, for all the frustration about offsides, the really good strikers who run off the shoulder they probably get caught. Yeah. They do. It's every second time. And sometimes they'll be caught, called uh, offside when they're on. Sometimes they'll be called onside when they're off. So, uh, as you can imagine, I love this performance. I particularly loved the fact that, and I, I did say this a couple of times along the way when we were worried about Alexis a little bit. Playing Theo through the middle brings Alexis alive, and I think we saw that today. Um, I also said you'll find him in the six-yard box going up for headers. We found that today because something about the, the dynamism and the runs, and the, it, it brings a lot of players to life with that space and with the energy. And, um, it, it, you know, the, the point on the striker thing, just quickly, he made one run early on. I think we'll all remember it was a little narrow diagonal that Alexis found him. Mm-hmm. It was a beautiful, really short little run. It was only a couple of yards. But he found himself on the left, on his left foot, and at an angle that he basically rarely gets into from any of his other games or other positions. These are things he's learning. He's looking at that thinking, I should have taken a better shot or a better chip or played it back or done something else. You know, 50% of the game he plays at the moment, he's thinking, oh, well, next time I run into that, I'm going to do something different. So uh, he'll get a lot better. I think. I, I think what you're seeing is as the hair moves from his head to his face, he's developing more of the qualities that a striker needs. So the more the hair leaves his head and moves to his face, the more his striker evolution takes place. So long may that continue. We'll have a big Santa Claus looking motherfucker banging in hat tricks every, every three days. But um, he's, it, a, he's actually starting to look like old, uh, you know, uh, older Thierry Henry, isn't he? He's looking like he's the going Thierry Henry he's that came back and scored like against Thierry Leeds. I think, he, I think someone told yeah. me that the more you look like Thierry, the more you'll play like Thierry, which is fine with me. Um, yeah. It's interesting. We asked at the end of the last pod, which uh, James refused to come on to, um, <laughs> did anyone play themselves into the starting lineup for Leicester? And I, I think the answer is Flamini did. I think if he had not played the way he did in, at White Hart Lane, it would have been Arteta, but instead it was Flamini. And it was interesting. It was a very interesting game at first because the team that didn't have the ball was the more dangerous team, if you know what I mean. It was counterattack after counterattack, turnover followed by counterattack, and they looked really dangerous. They got their goal. Um, it, it was the kind of goal we, we conceded a lot a couple seasons ago where a, a long ball was played and suddenly the ball was behind Murtisacker and it was just Koscielny trying to figure out what to do and, and Pear couldn't recover. James, do you think we got a little lucky? I hate to say this or fortunate with, with Flamini coming off with the hamstring injury and that Arteta gave us a little more control and added a little more stability to midfield, um, making the game a little less, less chaotic and giving us a platform to really build from? Um, yeah, I do think so, actually. Um, if there was one injury I wouldn't have minded too much uh, on a short-term basis was probably that position because going into the match, as happy as I was following his performance and the confidence and um, I think it was also a, a sign of faith from the manager re- rewarding a player that had um, put in a stellar performance when giving, given an opportunity after a lack of game time. Um, but he, well, he had played more of a box-to-box role in, in the Carling Cup game. and 
I've I've always really felt that that's the type of player that he suits. That 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 terrier quality of his is the ability to go um, back and forth, and not he's not really being the disciplined defensive midfielder that a lot of people attribute to him. Um, so it did concern me, especially alongside a Cazorla, uh, rather than say a Ramsey, who might be able to add f- slightly more defensive impetus alongside him, and. I actually think for the criticism, again, I was worried, especially given the pace of the game, that it might be a little bit much for Arteta too. And as much as we've criticised his legs, so to speak, um, aka his speed and his ability to last for long periods of the game, I actually thought Arteta put in not only a very good performance in the way in which it allowed us to control the midfield and, and calm the game down, but also his actual defensive qualities, his ability to hustle players his ability to be sprinting in, in the latter part of the game, and I know he came on you know, 20 minutes into the match, but still 70 minutes in from his point of view. Um, and there was a moment, I'm not suggesting less of, I don't remember who it was, it certainly wasn't a Vardy or a Myers with a, a, decent, with a, a vast amount of pace, but he, he held his own when, when tracking back, and I think we perhaps have, have somewhat understated his, his qualities in that regard. He's not just this... Uh, um, pendulum or a, a you know player that provides a, um, our base and our, our, our calming sort of passing qualities in the midfield. He does he does have a bit of bite to him too. So I, I was happy to see him on the field, and I think he certainly made a difference. Yes, uh, Paul, I saw you tweet something about about starting with Flamini and Cazorla being akin to suicide. Do you feel that that Flamini coming off and Arteta coming on created a bit of a turning point? I mean, Arteta didn't do anything really flashy but we know that he adds a little bit of that control in midfield and it was a game that really lacked any control I mean it really was chaotic for a while before we came to grips with it how important do you think that change was yeah no I called it a brain fart by Arson. I mean I think we know brains the reason can't fart he would... that's just stupid yes yeah, but <laughs> fart brains can't fart yeah let's, sorry about let's that try to keep, let's try to keep um, this, the discourse a little bit higher the tone yeah, the yeah. Tone. But uh, I also tweeted that I thought uh, Arson had got Steve Bold to take him out with a, a blow dart from the side because, <laughs> um, w- you know, it it was just, it was crazy. Uh, I think I also tweeted, we seem to be playing with no midfield. I mean, it was just gone from one end to the other. It was no control. It was it's fun. funny. My exact tweet was, I missed the days when we could control a game in midfield. I felt exactly the same way. We could not get a handle on the game. Yeah. There was no midfield. The only purpose of midfield was to get out of the way so that we could play a long ball, you know, a a tactical, clever long ball through through to one of our attacking players. I mean, they just they had no purpose going forward or no coming, none coming back. Um, so it was a big deal getting Arteta on there. Immediately, the whole game calmed down. Um, and it was a very different match. I, I might I might contest James on whether it was possible Arteta could have caught up with Mares. I think he dismissed the idea that it was Mares he would have tracked down. I think I must have tweeted like five times, Mares is quick, but he's not fast. The one thing you can do with Mares after he beats seven players and runs past them is catch him up. So uh, uh, I hope we get to talk about Montreal against Mares uh, because I think we all th- thought that was going to be a critical battle before the game. Well, go get and into re- it real quick. I mean, yeah. Montreal is really distinguishing himself. Both our, our fullbacks are distinguishing themselves as among the best in the league, but Montreal is, 
is really he's been worth absolutely everything we spent on him and more. Today was a game that he he really kept their biggest threat at bay. They've beaten teams using the wings, using pace yeah. down the wings, and Mares has really been the catalyst for that. And and Monreal did a, a pretty effective job keeping him quiet without a lot of help. He did, yeah. And, uh, you know, we talked about it. I, I said beforehand I hadn't really spent any time thinking about Leicester before this game. So I actually kick, gave myself a kick up the arse and watched him. And basically, he'll cut inside like Sanchez does. That's, that's his preferred route. Um, or he'll uh, take it down the wing a step, or he'll pass down the wing, or he'll pass clever from that right side. But if you show him inside... You know that's what you need to do with him, but he's still really, really dangerous when you've shown him inside. That's not that's not the end of his tricks. That's what you want to do, but that's not the end of it. So it was going to be really important how he and Kashelny uh, handled him, and I really thought uh, those two were key to keeping Mares quiet before the game. I think Monreal did a lot of it himself as it came along. I think mm-hmm. I think. Having Koscielny there was a big piece of it. I think they coordinated really well. I think they kept the spacing really well. In the end, Monreal really handled it pretty well. I was kind of making a joke about how at the end of the game that Mares was hiding on the left side. Uh, I shouldn't have made that joke because he started actually being effective at that point. But, you know, it, it, we knew before the game. The only thing I'd say about Mares as well, uh, he was every bit, I think he's every bit as dangerous as we said he was. But of his five ga- goals, two of them were penalties, so I, pe- I peel a couple of those back. But he is a really, really dangerous player. He, he did that thing of when, uh, when he didn't come inside, he made a couple of really clever passes to uh, his colleagues into the box. He was a dangerous guy that Montreal for... You, you never keep that guy quiet for the whole game, but for most of that game, and considering how much counterattacking they got to do, uh, we did... We he did a brilliant job keeping Mares quiet. So yeah. uh, he, in fact, let me just add Tom. Tom at Eurosport did a whole piece on that battle in anticipation of the game, saying that was going to be a key game and a key time for Monreal to show what he was worth. So, yeah, I think he came through with flying colors for for their first goal, James. Um, it was Ramsey losing the ball in our box, and then basically one long ball, and Murtasacker got caught. Um, with Vardy behind him, couldn't catch up. Koscielny opted to follow the runner in the middle of the pitch, which I think was the right move. Perrin never recovered, and it's a fantastic finish from Vardy into the far side netting. I don't think there's much that Czech could do. Is it sometimes a case of, hey, they just scored a great goal. They caught us out with a long ball, and it was a great finish from Vardy. Is it sometimes a case where you just hold your hand up and say nice play from them? Or is... That the kind of positioning from pair. Uh, Gunner Faithful Brian on Twitter asked, "What, in your opinion, is our best CB pairing now that Pair is healthy? Is that kind of vulnerability because of his pace the reason why you would potentially make Gabriel the starter? Or is this just one of those goals that sometimes happens when you want to play up the pitch? And and credit to them, they executed it brilliantly. I don't think it's just one of those goals. I don't think it was necessarily like a beautifully crafted." Uh, move. It was a very well executed counter attack, but we did. It was a lead. hell of a finish. I mean, he was. It was a really tight angle. I don't think you'd you'd expect a lot of players to finish from there. Maybe, yeah, sure. But um, that being said, ideally, you don't even want him in that position in the first place. Of course. Um, and, and some of that comes down to not having your Cockerlan like player, who I think a would probably have been 
better position than Matthew was at the time and also was hit with his pace and athleticism has more of a chance of, of coming in and overloading and um, providing support to a motorcycle or actually being uh, the individual that, that puts pressure on Vardy and, and either restricting the shot or uh, making it more difficult for him. In addition to that, that is the type of scenario where if you don't have that Coquelin, um a motorcycle does become exposed because one weakness is um, the pace in behind. And so that, for me, is the benefit Gabriel has. I, I think a chance is still created if Gabriel plays at centre-back, um, but I think he allows himself a one-on-one situation that Perl couldn't even get himself back into. Let, let's not pretend that Gabriel's a speed merchant or anything like that. It's just that Murtisacker really... Gabriel is Gabriel's rapid. Yeah, no, I he is. Gabriel is fucking rapid, All right. I mean, I, I guess I haven't seen him in a dead sprint. I don't, I don't see him catching up you know, some of the faster players in the league. I, I think you'd be surprised. Like, I, I consider Gabriel to be like really quick. But, uh, that, that, I mean, that aside... Um, Point is, he's vastly faster than than Murtisacker. Right. I mean, that, right. the, I, 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 I was going to finish by saying I think he gets into a position to make that a more challenging finish for Vardy or potentially that he has to get, give it off. Paul, Paul, why don't you jump in here real quick and, and give me your, your feeling on that, though, in terms of is is that kind of vulnerability to, to a ball over the top a reason to make Gabriel uh, first choice here? Or is that is that just one of those goals that occasionally you're going to get hit with when you have a more statue-like center back? I, I think all of that. I, I do think it's a tax you pay by playing per. There's going to be one of those every now and then. But this one was particularly bad because if you watch it, he doesn't just get beaten by this guy. He jumps the gun and tries to... He, he knows he's in, he, he's in a precarious situation. So he actually jumps ahead of Vardy, uh, like pushes forward. So he's like three, four, five yards ahead of him. That's the position from which the pass then is made. That's that's when the whistle's blown, right? That's when the race is off. Mm-hmm. Per is actually f- three, four, five yards past this guy because he's thinking, "Oh, uh, I'll try and intercept it." So we've seen that from Murtisacker before, by the way. I think it might have been in the Monaco game, or there was a Champions League game last yes. year. I can't remember when it was. Where he he sizes up a situation. He says, "Option one is try to get out in front of this. Option two is a sprint." Yeah halfway back the pitch where I get embarrassed. I'm going to go for option yeah. one. <laughs> He's done and that And this before. one was, he, he has, and, and that's what I was thinking of, but this one's, this one he really, <laughs> he really jumps the gun. He's way beyond the guy. Uh, he's screwed. And, you know, just quickly on Gabriel, I think Gabriel, not, A, he doesn't expose himself because he can drop off a couple of yards. B, I think he does run this guy down. Gabriel, uh, I know we're just... You know, we're all having our pet theory in this one. Gabrielle is super fast, so that's my that's my. Take, we'll have to watch it over time. I'll take your guys' word for it. I, look, I, I I have to admit, I I have come around to Gabriel a lot. I don't I don't know that I've seen him in a dead sprint to where I can tell how fast he is, but there's no contest when it comes to Murtisacker, and that is his vulnerability. Um, yeah. I thought Murtisacker did a lot of things way, well but... today. Yeah, I mean, I. Yeah. I think he marshals the back line very well, and, and that's very important, especially when you see how vulnerable we've been on set pieces without him. Um, uh, so let's let's get to the goals. And and the first goal is a really nice, well-worked move. I believe it's Ozil who gets it out to Alexis, who gets it out to Cazorla, who plays the through ball to Theo. Um, James, is this... 
one of those goals that we have to kind of count ourselves lucky that we're playing a team like Leicester that likes to go for it. Because when we've fallen behind in the league for the last year, basically, teams have parked the bus, and that's been that. We haven't been able to pick it apart. It was a beautiful goal. How much of it is down to Leicester giving us the space to play, and then how much of it is down to our execution? Well, I don't know if the every single game that we've gone behind in from now and last August, every team has just immediately parked the bus. So, um, I think that's sort of the blueprint, right? Though if you get a goal on Arsenal, a, you, you lock it up and, and you put the onus on us to come at you. We press into your half and then you counter on us. Right, no, I, I do appreciate that for sure. That, that's certainly true. Um, but I think we have come up against not necessarily a team quite as expan- trying to be as expansive as Leicester were on this day necessarily, but teams that have continued to play against us and that we still haven't been able to come back from. Um, but yes, I think it, I'm not sure if it played into our hands because Leicester are a team that are, that are full of confidence and are off the back of a lot of very solid results and they wanted to continue that on um, at home. And you know, early on it looked like a tactic that was working well. They, they took the lead. And I think... Either way, whether you're playing you know, a fast-paced side like that that comes at you or you play a team that then receives into a shell of, 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 of some, some sort of parked bus, you've, you've, you've still got to show metal and you've got to be able to um, stay calm and manage to, A, keep the ball in tight situations deep in your own half, not let the momentum swing too much in Leicester's um, favour. It's easier sometimes to go 2-0 down and then... Once they've got the two-goal cushion, maybe then they do start to, to fall back and and let you keep possession for long periods of time and restrict the space in, in their own final, in their own third of the pitch. So, um, And I think that was exemplified by Ozil on the edge of the box. His his corners, his ability to uh, to keep the ball, to shimmy away, create the space, spot Alexis, um, and then we were really able to move the ball on forward from there. So... It was an excellent sweeping counter-attacking move, somewhat aided and abetted by the type of space Leicester were looking to um, lead in those areas through pressing us high, through through looking to counter-attack us. Um, but as we saw in that opening 25 minutes, I mean, it was a cracking game. Leicester had hit the, the post and the bar. Yeah, I believe uh, the manager said they had a chance to get a second, and had they gotten it, it would have been a, you know, a really challenging situation that he was worried Um but we did yeah, get a little bit a, fortunate. We had a chance with Walcott as well, you know, to, to have taken the lead. And actually, Cazorla in the sixth minute when he kind of went across goal. And it, was, it wasn't it was quite clear off the line as such, but it was blocked very close to the goal. So, they, you know, the game was open. It wasn't it wasn't like Leicester, you know, were creating all the chance early on. And then once we got the goal, we settled in. It was, it was, it was a lot of back and forth either way right from the start. But I think we did grab control of the game. And, and Paul... Um... Our two most expensive players are arguably our two most important players if we're going to achieve anything big. That's Sanchez and Ozil, obviously. And after we got back level, I really think the game became about those two and their performances. Um, Sanchez got the hat trick, but I thought Ozil was magnificent as well. Whose performance do you think was more influential? I mean, obviously the hat trick is the most influential, but whose performance impressed you more? These are two players who both got subbed off at at Chelsea in a really big game. Um, really disappointingly, and really showed what they can do today. Um, what did you, what did you make of their performances? Uh, I actually think the most important 
player today was Theo. I think he set okay, okay, the overall right. parameters. Uh, yeah, but I'm not okay, going to say. Okay, okay. We all know where I'm going with that. Yeah. We all know the you argument. You want to know my that. opinion is Giroud while we're at it? <laughs> no. <laughs> okay. Uh, so, <laughs> so what did you uh, make of Alexis and Ozil? But, but they made a good tag team today. I, I think the I, I think Alexis was the key man today I, because coming off the Theo thing, the two of those as a strike team are very powerful. I think we've seen uh, Alexis freed up today to really express himself. You see it on his first goal. Uh, he's over on the left wing waving his arms around, and the ball's gone the other direction because Bellerin's getting forward, as he pretty much did for much of the game. Montreal hangs back, as he should with, uh, with uh, Mares, but Bellerin gets forward. And, uh, you know, that whole dynamic, the Theo-Alexis dynamics, really key to the the overall game. I'll take some minus points away from Ozil, not to be too negative. I think he had a great game, and he was instrumental. And, and you know, Cazorla, uh, I felt a bit c- critical of while watching the game, but the more I watch pieces of it, you realize all the guys are doing stuff all the time to string it together, like they always do when you come back and watch it a second time. Well, Cazorla, but, Cazorla gave Theo the opening goal, so... Yeah, yeah. So... Um, and, and he's in way more places than I thought he was. So I think Ozil was great for most of it. I, I was disappointed towards the end that he let his head drop. The manager talked about how he had re- that He was really disappointed he missed. at the goal, yep. Yeah, and I, I hadn't factored that during the game. I was just kind of... I, I couldn't work out why his head was dropping. And, you know, he, we were under the cosh, we were ahead... Uh, and we needed him to scramble back and defend, and he was kind of walking back with his head down, not even watching the play, and this was like maybe 10, 10 minutes or, or quite a bit longer afterwards, so it really got to him. He's a sensitive soul. Um, well, so I think he puts a lot of pressure on himself to perform, he, and you know, a lot of the body language, I think that's interpreted as unhappiness or, or not caring is the opposite. It's frustration with his own performance. He, you know, he, he's yeah. a, per- a perfectionist. Um, uh, James, the, the, the Sanchez goals were awesome. It's great to see him, uh, get off the mark. The first one I thought had a lot to do with Theo actually on the run he made to the near post. The second one was all about, um, Ozil's delivery, but it was a great run from Alexis. And then the third one was a piece of individual brilliance. How important do you think this is? The manager said he could see in training over the last few weeks that Sanchez was coming back into his form and and would really start to perform, but we know that you know finishing is a lot about confidence. How impressed were you with his performance today, and how important do you think this is for us going forward? Incredibly impressed. Incredibly important going forward. I mean, the game itself exemplified just how much confidence can play into um, a top player, a top finisher. Um, getting a group of goals in a short period of time. I don't think he's he scores that third goal um, without having scored um, the other two. I mean, the kind of swagger to to touch it first time around the defender and then shoot it into that beloved near post that he likes to hit. And he's he's tried to on many occasions in previous games, and and ha- he's been just you know a, a few inches off or um, you know even you know a couple of meters here and there. So. It's, it's it's fantastic to see. I thought his all-round performance was excellent. The parts of his game where you know we do talk a lot about his turnovers. I think s- some of that actually comes down to just how regular he likes to keep onto the ball and and kind of move sideways 
with his um, you know being able to use his body and and that that, that kind of cut back um, in order to just uh, keep a hold of the ball, sort of calm things down, and then switch the play. He does that all the time, and he does that in very deep areas. In the same way that Ozil uses his body movement and and his shimmies and his fakes to create space for himself, Alexis is really he'll take he'll he'll go shoulder to shoulder with um, the opposing player, but making sure the ball is always facing towards towards Ago, giving him the advantage and like and holding on. So I think even that part of his game was um, looked more improved. He just looked a more confident player. You could see um, he had that um, that that Shabazz back, um, and I thought you know those the finishes, the, well, the, the two finishes were were fantastic. One a leap, a sheer level of desire. Um, to challenge for that and, and to put it away, and, and the third goal was was a moment of absolute brilliance. So, Mr. Krabs on Twitter at o underscore that underscore crab. Uh, Mr. Krabs asks, and I will not be having intercourse with him anytime soon. Um, how sexy was Alexis's <laughs> goal on a scale of one to ten, James? That that third goal to finish off the hat trick. That that's pinpoint. That's that's really world class, isn't it? Oh, it was beautiful. It almost had the Wembleys about it. I mean, yeah, we did. He didn't hit it up high, he didn't lift off it, no. the, but you know, he, it was kind of a similar. You know what I enjoyed about it? I, I I enjoyed the touch around the defender first. That that little clever touch. It was a slalom touch, really. I mean, and and then he and then he collects and and shoots. Uh, Paul, you want to drool on Alexis a little bit more? Just a little bit. I, I think what was also interesting back to the kind of the the striking pair is that in the, we know in the first goal, Theo made the run to the near post. Alexis was wide open. Nobody was fucking marking him. The second goal, for Alexis's second goal, uh, Theo makes the near run and brings at least one center back with him. But, I mean, nobody's near Alexis. Absolutely. I mean, there might be two yards to one side and two yards to the other. But he's untouched. It's a free header. So this dynamic that we've seen before, we saw it against Villa, we saw it against West Brom, where the two of them are attacking. Sanchez is suddenly freed up to do his thing, and then he's feeling so good about it, we finally see Alexis do something all on his own, that superb third goal. where I mean, that boy loves a, a near-post blaster, doesn't he? Mm-hmm. I, I don't know how yeah, he yes. gets it. Goalkeeper after goalkeeper, you can hear the commentator saying he really shouldn't be beaten on his inside. But with Alexis, you really should be. He really fucking twats that near post uh, drive from distance. So yeah. that's when you know he's really feeling it. It, it. it was definitely a game where I I think you saw some of the the joy in front of goal return. Um yeah. The timidity wasn't there today. I mean, we saw Alexis come on and, and timidly hit one at the keeper um, against Spurs in midweek, but but he, he had that electric enthusiasm, that energy, that, that precision about his game today that had been missing. His effort is always there, but the precision wasn't there. It was back today. Um, I don't think you could say that Ramsey sparkled particularly, and Christopher Terrazas, Terrazas uh, CT. One zero two five one one. That's bank account number. If anyone wants to know, uh, on Twitter says, should Ramsey get a rest considering his form and playing out of position? Paul, real quick on Ramsey, games yeah. are kind of passing him by right now. Uh, we're seeing more I'm, of the sloppy stuff than the good stuff. What do you make of him today? Yeah. Um, so this is maybe just my personal approach to these things. What works works. I think the three of those guys up front work. Mm-hmm. I think um, 
I think he did a lot of good work, but he's not he's not playing great at the moment. It's it's certainly nowhere near his best form. I think he we saw it in the, his hesitancy on a number of shots when he was in one or two really good positions. Though to be fair, we saw that from almost every player. Uh, kind of that first half in particular, you wanted to do your head in. Were we not scoring goals anyway? At the number of chances where we took an extra touch or we took a slow a slow shot or and he was certainly a coper for that but i don't think we should over worry about it what what works works i think he's doing a lot of good work he's part of the filling like kazorla even though kazorla probably had a very good game or or and at times brilliant and i i do remember one or two passes from ramsey that were really really good in some of the key plays i don't know whether they led to goals or not i get a little mixed up when i think back but there were a couple of times i thought oh that was really good oh that was ramsey so I don't, uh, I'm not saying he had a great game. I'm saying we shouldn't worry. What's working is working. They work. He can, when we're pressurized in midfield, we have him to drop back and help out like he did in the, the Capital One Cup when we were under pressure and Spurs were pressing. And, you know, we had a weak midfield today, but we resisted. Um, even when we got swapped Arteta for Flamini, there, there are obviously explo- exposures with Arteta and Cazorla. So you want that option of uh, Ramsey being able to kind of go both ways, help out in midfield and help out in attack. I mm-hmm. think we'd be surprised how well he did, even though he didn't particularly shine. And certainly it's nowhere. You know, it, he might have had a bad game for him. It doesn't mean he had a bad game. He's not a player that I worry about having in the starting 11 because he does a lot of good things for us. I think he's still maybe shooting when the pass is the option, passing when the shot is the option. His decision-making hasn't been fantastic. But I think the manager, there's a reason to keep playing him, and that is this. The risk-reward, you don't risk much by playing Aaron Ramsey. He's going to work hard. He's going to do do the, the... the sort of unseen stuff. He's going to do the dirty work. The reward is if he does hit form, you get a, a spectacular player who can win games all on his own. So you keep playing him and you just keep believing him and then, then he comes good. Um, James, and I, I, and I just want to quickly add, when you have somebody like Theo and Alexis up front and they can, they can be brilliant, but they can also cost you in terms of, of exposure going yeah. backwards That's and graft. Yeah. yeah. You, pr- you can't have three of them. You know, the idea of having Ox as well uh, is very exciting. A little too exciting, and I think we'd see a big hole leaving midfield exposed from time to time. So I think you really, if you get the, the upside with those two, you need a counterbalance, and, and Ramsey gives you that. Yeah, so, so James, I think the, the game was won before the subs came on, but uh, you know, it, it, was, it was the fourth goal that made it safe, the fifth goal put a little gloss on it. I think our performance deserved a, a big win because I think we were really spectacular throughout most of the game. Maybe a little bit of a, a back-and-forth chaotic game for 30 minutes, and then I thought our class really showed. But two players who managed to get on before the end of the game, Giroud and Oxley chamberlain At first, I thought Giroud was going to have one of those appearances. He had sort of a Gervinho at Bradford-esque miss on a cross from, I believe it was Cazorla, where he just didn't even swing a leg at it. But to his credit, he came back. He swung his left leg at another cross uh, and and sweetly passed it into the to the bottom corner. Oxlade-Chamberlain, on the other hand, had a nightmare. Um, and uh, Omar Moates at Omar underscore Moates says, what's wrong with the Ox? Plain and simple. This is a guy we have our eye on, James, because we have a bet about his starts. 
the manager can't pick him right now, can he? I mean, what, what is going on with, with Oxlade-Chamberlain? Sorry, what are we defining as a nightmare? I mean, it was, you know, I mean, he was not even, like, awake for the first goal, for the for their, their second goal. Um, they could have had two goals while he was on the pitch where he was just basically, he might as well have been watching the match from my couch. Now, he did have some good forward runs, and he did play one really good pass to Ozil that gave Ozil his big chance. But if Oxley chamberlain is just not going to even be awake and alert in his defensive half, he he can't play, can he? I don't know. I mean, so the thing is, at 4-1 up in the 89th minute, and you're a player like Ox, the Ox, the type of player you are, your right wing forward, your major attributes are the way in which you can take on players and your pace and your ability to counterattack and the excitement you bring, and you're a player that hasn't actually scored. Um, so, well, he, hasn't, he didn't score against Newcastle, but... Um, you know, he hasn't had a goal to his name this season and he's looking for that goal. His inclination at that time wasn't really to like ha- harass and harry the defender. And of course, we want to see that from every period at every single period of the game, no matter the score. But he wanted to give himself a slightly higher chance of that ball breaking loose and for the ball to come out to him on the edge of the area and for him to start a counterattack. So I don't blame him too much because we've seen plenty of times where he's come on in the 70-odd minute uh, where we're leading by a goal, and and you know he's able to bring in that defensive ability that um, he's more than willing to um, harass and harry def- um, opposing players and um, see. And I'd argue and that his that defensive energy, energy defensively, his well, defensive weaknesses are the reason he doesn't get picked more than not. I mean, we've seen Oxley Chamberlain cost us goals, and he did again today. I don't disagree. I think the major defensive issue component to him is his ability to turn over the ball, especially in our own half. Um, I don't think that becomes as much of an issue when the game's not as sporadic as it is in the earlier components of the game, but I, I do think it's still an issue and a part of the inexperience attributed to him because he's clearly got the talent and the ability for, for something like that to be removed from his game. Yes, absolutely. And it's frustrating because this is a guy who, he, he's got a little bit, he's such an intelligent player. You can tell that just from the way he, he speaks off the pitch and his wit and his charm um, but maybe he's, he just wants to show too much what he can do because when the ball's at his feet, he's electrifying, but he wants to do a lot on his own. And when the ball is in the defensive half, he's really tuned out. And, you know, if you watch the goal that Vardy scores, the second goal they get, both Bellerin and Arteta turn to Ox and throw their hands up at him. And, and no, it, he, he, was, he was very much tuned out. But, but, but I, here's the thing I want you to know. What I watched, because I, I watched the, the game back because the second half I had to watch on a mobile device, so I watched the second half back. Three minutes before that, there's a scramble in the box. Ox loses possession. So he gets the ball on the right wing in our half. He loses possession. He's dispossessed. He stands stock still from the moment he's dispossessed and does not move for the next 30 seconds while the ball gets played into our box, crossed to the side of the pitch he's on. Check has to scramble it away. That's the one where they should have scored. It was the Mares ball over the top that was tapped right into Check. And Ox mm-hmm. is still standing where he was dispossessed without moving. That's not going to endear you to the manager. I appreciate that, but I, I think, like, like I said, because of the scoreline at the time for him, I'm not saying it's the right thing to do, but he wanted to give himself the chance that on any potential counterattacking opportunity, he was already further up the pitch to be able sure. to start the counterattack. So I think he's just—I think it's more a sign of his desperation 
um, to, to get contribute that, that. Yeah, to, I, I see that. Look, and to look, show the attacking verb, especially given the context of the game at the time. So I, I think we've actually seen performances from him when he's come on, when we're a goal up later on in the game, and he, he doesn't. That's not exemplary of the kind of a way in which he approaches a game normally, especially in different types of scenarios. That being said, I actually don't think when we were, he was moving forward with the ball, we didn't see much of it. I mean, he was on the, the pitch for like 15 minutes and um, he had a few moves. And I don't think nothing amazing came out of it. And uh, but well, he, he could have assisted Ozil. Ozil. He, he played exactly. the ball that could have been Ozil's goal. All, all I'm saying, James, is if I'm Arsene Wenger, I know that Oxlade-Chamberlain is a special talent going forward. I'm looking to see that he can protect the ball in his own half and contribute defensively. Because once I see that, then I think I can really start giving this guy starts regularly in the league. So the irony is Ox may be hungry, desperate to score a goal and show what he can do in attack. But ironically, if he showed what he could do working back defensively and protecting the ball, that would probably aid his chances of getting starts, if you see what I mean. Um But look, overall, fantastic performance, great win. I thought the most important thing to come out of this, aside from Theo's center forward play, was Alexis and Ozil really finding form that hopefully carries forward because our next two games are Champions League, a game we have to win at home to Olympiacos, and then Manchester United, a chance to go right near the top. City losing today, it is amazing to say it, but the league is wide open. And Chelsea dropped points, so the Diego Costa ban... Looks like it may have paid off in the end. They couldn't find the goal they needed to get all three, and Costa wasn't there for them. So there's a little bit of a little bit of justice returning to the universe. Um, I think we should probably leave it there, actually. Um, we're trying not to be the hour and 30-minute podcast anymore, and we'll have a lot to get stuck into over the next few days with Olympiacos. But it's Manchester United next. Um, just quickly for the Manchester United game, James and Paul, very quickly. If Coughlin's back, if Gabriel, Gabriel will be back because he wouldn't be suspended any longer— do you see Coughlin and Gabriel coming right back in or no, James? Coughlin, 100%. Gabriel, probably, yes. Paul? Uh, Coughlin, 100%. Gabriel, no. But then we had this discussion about family and people who'd, who'd fought their way back or, or performed. And I said uh, there was no way family would start ahead of Arteta. And I should have been right. Yeah. But I was wrong. So It's we'll a see. huge game. I mean, United are top. And if we can beat them, we're right there. You know, the beauty of it is, as uneven as the start to the season has been, we are in striking distance now. So it's, it's all systems go. Time to get our Champions League uh, season underway. And with Alexis and Ozil hopefully maybe now coming into form, if we can beat United, you'd be hard-pressed not to start to think maybe we can do it in the league um, with City proving they're definitely not infallible. I mean, how they lose to that shower of shit, I have no idea. Anyway, um, let's leave it there. We'll be back after Olympiacos, hopefully with James, but definitely with myself and Paul, and and if we can get James fired with James as well, but then we'll all be back for Manchester United. So until then, enjoy Match of the Day if you're going to watch it. Enjoy all the podcasts. It's always a good week uh, after a win. My name's Elliot Smith. You can block me on Twitter at Yankee Gunner. James can be found at GoonerFanatic49. James, thank you. Cheers, guys. Paul, he's at Posnan in my pants on Twitter. Always a delight. Theo to pass Aguero this season for number of goals scored. Okay, great. Oh dear. Another board bet for us. Put it on the board. We got another bet. You can take bets. I get all kinds of bets. We got to write them down and keep up with them. But until next time, enjoy your week. We'll see you after Olympiacos.